You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Sports are easy to disagree on. Let's see what happens when sports talk hosts talk about something they agree on. Hold on. I'm saying drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. Well, I disagree. I think drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. <laughs> Come on. Wait, I think we're saying the same thing. Oh, so uh, what do we do now? Everyone agrees that drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2020 and May 2021. Potential savings will vary. <laughs> And welcome back to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that is not your history class with me, your unwell host, Katie Charlwood, mother and reader of books. Love you. Disclaimer. Gamer. Even though I'm going to be covering some... The next one I'm going to do it. It's a song. Is the next one going to be a song? Yeah, it's, it's only me doing it. Okay, so... You can, you can do the pipe. When it's high, high, high. Anyway, uh, you may notice I have a guest host with me today. Uh, what's your name? My cat. That is my human that I made. <laughs> I am a co-creator of this fresh human. And as such, even though the topic being discussed today is going to be dark, so even though the topic is going to be quite dark in nature, uh, th- there may not be any swearing, depending on whether or not she has left the room or not. Because, seeing as I am unwell, little Miss Micah has decided to take it upon herself to make sure that I am okay. Which is super fun. Yeah, and I love her. (laughs) Thank you for saying that in an unsure way. That really makes me feel confident, baby. Don't you worry about it. Mommy! I have been off work now for four days. Tomorrow's my last day and then I'm back in... I am um, hopped up on a... Oh, well, yeah, back in. Uh, so, yeah, we're a little bit different today because I have a co-host. Uh, yeah, so I've been off and I haven't been able to record. Um, my throat had swollen on one side to be double and I felt like I was simultaneously choking and drowning, which 0 out of 10 would not recommend. I'm hopped up on antibiotics and ibuprofen, but... Um, I can actually speak today, so I'm going to try and get through this as quickly as possible. What month is it? Huh? What month is it? Autumn. It is autumn. That's the season. What month is it? October. 
It's October, so which means it's almost... Halloween. It is almost Halloween and we are continuing with our spooky tales, aren't we? Yep, and we we buy some chocolate, what are they called? The pukas. The puka. So the puka is an Irish ghost, isn't it? Yeah. It's a m- and, and there's a Frankenstein on you, so I, and you can smash it. Are you thinking that Frankenstein is the Hulk? No, he's not. Okay. He's going to smash. He just also smashes. Okay, so I know what you're thinking. Quit your jibber-jabber. In fact, me, in fact, you, I will. But first, we have to get our source on. We have the anatomy murders being the true and spectacular history of Edinburgh's notorious Birkin hair and of the man who... Of science who abetted them in the commission of their most heinous crimes by Lisa Rosner. Birkin Hair by Owen Dudley Edwards. The infamous Birkin Hair, serial killers and resurrectionists of 19th century Edinburgh by R. Michael Gordon. No, me. And of course, we have our favourites history.com, smithsonian.com, and biography.com. So, as I'm sure you have guessed by the title of this episode, and of course, uh, me me listing the books, that we are talking about Burke and Hare, who for some reason are consistently known as body snatchers or resurrectionists. But um, they didn't actually snatch any bodies. So let's start, you know what, we'll start, we'll start, with, we'll start with our main men, will we? We have three main characters to this story. We got William Burke, William Hare and Dr. Robert Knox. So... I'm out the works. So we've got Billy, Billy and Bob. What? Dr. Wugs. Dr. Robert Knox. Dr. Wugs. Dr. Wugs. Dr. Ruggs? Yeah. Thank you for the illuminating commentary. Say it. Say it. Dr. Ruggs. Yeah. Do you feel better now? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> the funny thing about Burke and Hare, although their story mainly lies in Edinburgh, is they're both from Ireland. But they came from two different backgrounds. William Burke was born in 1792 in Arne, County Tyrone. And he was the second son. We get, here's the thing, we can make an assumption the fact that he was called William and his brother was called Constantine, that um the Burks were quite middle class. So Burke is middle class. So when they're teenagers, both he and his brother join the British army. Burke serves in the Donegal militia um, and he stays there until he marries some women from County Mayo, where they end up moving to. So Burke has a family. He's got a wife. There are no unicorns, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, to my knowledge, baby. Unicorns. To uh, f- as far as I know, there's no unicorns currently in Mayo. Unicorns. You think there's unicorns in Mayo? There's one unicorn from the family, from their family. There's one unicorn for the Burke family in Mayo. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna trust your judgment on that one. Basically, he has a wife and kids, and he ends up in this argument with his father-in-law. Something to do with land ownership. I think that Burke was expecting to just claim it because he married into the family, and, you know, the father-in-law was like, no, not doing that. So he does the um, rational and not at all misogynist thing of, baby, can you cover your ears for a second? Cover your ears, okay? He says, fuck this for a game of soldiers, and gets the nope out of there, and head to Scotland. You can take him off now. Good job. So, so basically he ends up near Falkirk, meets a lass called Helen McDougall, who he calls Nellie, and she becomes his second wife. 
No, I think he just abandoned his first family. I'm not sure divorce was involved at all. Anyway, becomes a labourer, works on the Union Canal, and possibly becomes a bigamist. They end up moving to Tanner's Close in Edinburgh in November 1827, and they basically become street hawkers. They are selling, like, second-hand clothes and stuff to the, you know, people who can't afford new shit. Like a ye old thrift store. Burke then decides to level up a wee bit, becomes a cobbler. You know, because it... A cobbler. Because it's always good to have a, have a trade. Earning upwards of one pound a week. So, you know, he was seen as a good guy, carried around a wee Bible. He was at the Presbyterian meetings. And why wouldn't you trust a bigamist with a Bible? You know what I mean? Anywho, person number two. William. William Hare. William Hare was a different story. So, William Hare didn't have the same comfortable upbringing as Burke did. The thing about if you're a poor person or a woman from the past, do we have any dates about you? Probably not. So, where was William Hare born? How old is he? Still not sure. So, he was born somewhere between Armagh Derry or Newry. What we do know is his birthday is somewhere between 1792 and 1804. The theory is that he worked in Ireland as a labourer and then travelled to Britain. So like he worked on the Union Canal for years and then he moved to Edinburgh where he worked as a Coleman's assistant and then so he becomes a lodger in Tanner's close in Edinburgh. So he so he's staying with Logue and his wife Margaret. So then Logue dies in like 1826. So when Logue dies, he stays with Margaret. We're not entirely sure if he married the widow or if they were just like common law man and wife. Basically, at some point in 1827, William Burke and Nellie go to Midlothian to work on a harvest. They meet here. The men's become friends. They all move back to Tanner's Close, where basically they become this fun little foursome they get this reputation for being like, you know, the drunken Irish and being loud and all that, you know, rowdy stuff. The next person on our list, Dr. Robert Knox. Robert Knox was an anatomist and he is a fellow at the Royal College of Surgeons in Edinburgh. So basically in 1814, he had qualified as a doctor. He was an army physician at the Battle of Waterloo and then the Cape Frontier War in Southern Africa. Eventually, he comes back and he settles in Edinburgh in 1820. A couple of years after that, he becomes a fellow at the Royal College of Surgeons of Edinburgh. And Knox is like one of the biggest anatomists in Britain at that point. His work as um, a teacher and a lecturer, the basically our knowledge of anatomy would not be as advanced as it was if it weren't for this man. And, oh, you know what? I'm just going to add this in as well. Um, He had smallpox as a kid, so he was blind in one eye, had um, some kind of disfigurement as well. So let's get back into the story. Burke and Hare are living on the same street. They're both in Tanner's Close in Edinburgh, Scotland, just to confirm. So Hare, at this point, is running the, the lodging house. One of his tenants dies in December 1827. Of natural causes, nothing to be alarmed about. Old Donald, he kicks the bucket. He hadn't gone to pick up his pension before he did that because he had an army pension. So when he died, he still owed four pounds in rent. So basically, here's like, I need this money. And he tells his pal Burke about it. They decide that they're going to sell the body 
the college of surgeons effectively. So because O'Donnell was an elderly army pensioner, the local parish gets a carpenter to provide a coffin, you know, so that they can organise a burial. So Burke and Hare, they put their heads together and they go, alright, let's be smart about this. Instead of putting old Donald into the coffin, they pull the old switcheroo and fill it with tanning bark. So they bury an empty casket full of wood and, and hod it and dod it, they take old Donald's body off to the medical school in Edinburgh. Where they, um, were basically they're appointed to Robert Knox, Professor Robert Knox, Dr. Robert Knox, Bobby Knox, and his socks. That was silly. Knox pays the gruesome twosome seven pounds and ten shillings for Donald's body for the use of study of anatomy. That means that Burke and Hare have made a profit of three pounds and ten shillings. And at this point you're thinking, ah, you know, that's not so bad actually. You can kind of, you know, times were tough. You can you can understand why they did what they did. This is the last point the two of them are being reasonable. So you're probably wondering why Knox was paying this money for these cadavers. Alright, so the Judgment of Death Act is passed in 1823. And this basically means that the death penalty, you know, the reason, the crimes that would get the death penalty, it just massively drops. And you're thinking, this is great. And, and it is, in general. It's not great for um, medical skills and stuff because they need bodies, you know, to dissect and do stuff with. But the demand was definitely outweighing the supply because all of these medical and anatomical schools were only legally allowed to dissect the cadavers of undesirables. So, like, foundlings, orphans, criminals, so on and so forth, which left them with, you know, a pretty big shortage of uh, dead bodies to cut up. So, because, you know they didn't have such free access to bodies, medical schools would offer financial compensation, you know, to anyone that provided a cadaver. And because there's always someone trying to make money in the easiest possible way, grave robbing becomes this massive, massive deal. So because people were stealing bodies, they were digging up corpses to give to the medical, to medical research so that they could get money. And, you know, it was pretty good money, in fairness, that they were offering. So the grave robbers were actually known as resurrectionists, which is, let's face it, a pretty cool fucking name. The kid is out the room, by the way. The kid is gone. Uh, she left. That's why I can swear again. So grave robbing becomes so common that, like, freshly buried corpses would have someone watching guard over them. Sometimes it would be, like, a relative watching over the grave. Because the fresher the body, the more money you would get. So... Yeah, sometimes it would be like a relative or someone would be paid to watch over the grave. Or they would install a mort safe, which is like this cage that goes over the grave to stop somebody from, like, digging under it. So people like Robert Knox would pay damn fine money and ask no questions. Because as far as they were concerned, it was for the advancement of medical science. So, yeah. In January 1828, Hare has a tenant who's sick. Joseph, who was a miller, the thing is with Joseph, there's two sides to this. The first is that he was pretty sick. He had a fever and he was delirious and stuff like that. And Hare was worried that he was going to spread the illness to his other tenants or scare other lodgers away because he was ill. Like People wouldn't want to stay in his house if there was a sick fella in it. The other idea is that 
They knew Joseph was sick and they were waiting for him to die. Unfortunately, they felt he was taking a wee bit too long and Buck and Hare decided to help him along. And they did this in a, a remarkably practical way. They got him drunk on cheap whiskey. Buck sat on his chest to pin him down and Hare smothered him with a pillow. Now, between the two men, this is actually like a really smart way because without, you know, modern forensics, this is a pretty good way, an undetectable way to, you know, dispose of a human. And bonus points because this meant that the body didn't have any weird marks and it was relatively undamaged. So it was perfect for, you know, the medical students who were going to be like dissecting the cadavers and stuff. And this would become their preferred method of execution. So they, you know, they strip the body, take all the, the good stuff, hawk what they can, and then bring the corpse to Knox, who again pays them £10. With an absence of, you know, dying or almost dead people, Burke and Hare decide to start luring people in. The second victim was Abigail Simpson. She was a pensioner who had a side hustle of selling salt. A salt hustle, if you will. And this is like in February, the 12th of February, which is like the only official date we have regarding murders. So they just get her absolutely plastered. They make sure that she is too drunk to go home and that she has to stay there. And they do the same thing that they did with Joseph. Bark sat on their chest. Well, Hare smothered her with a pillow, put her body in a tea chest and sold it to Knox, who, who made a comment about the body being quite fresh and he was really happy about it, which is why he paid £10, um, but didn't ask any questions because why would he? The next person they got was an English male lodger because they were like, ah, sure, he's English, it doesn't matter. Because they're Irishmen living in Scotland. That's just how it's going to go. No, so the unnamed English lodger was a travelling seller of matches and tinder who apparently apparently had jaundice and you know Hare and Margaret were like ah now this illness might have a, a wee effect on business now we better just so they did the same thing that they did with Joseph filled him full of booze smothered him yeah the manner in which they killed with Burke like pressing down and restraining the victim and Hare smothering them with a pillow or sm- with his hand over the mouth but smothering nonetheless became known as barking like this particular method was ended up being known as barking in popular culture just as a side note anywho so now margaret Hare's wife is in on it and she invites an old woman over you know starts plowing her whiskey gets her nice and knocked out so when as she's lying down on the floor Hare comes home chucks this like mattress cover thing on it like a, it's called a bed tick the weight of the whole thing pins her down and smothers her and she's dead by nightfall. His buddy Burke comes over, they do the thing, they grab the body, transport it over to Knox and bish bash bosh, another tenor. Mary Patterson, also known as Mary Mitchell, and Jan and Brown were may or may not have been sex workers. It, it's We're not entirely sure, you know, but they go drinking with Burke and he invites them back to his lodging for breakfast. And off they go. So Mary falls asleep at the table and Burke and Janet are still drinking. Still drinking and chatting, you know, shooting the shit. 
And in comes Nelly, who's like, what the actual fuck? Who is this bitch? What are you doing? He is married. Get the fuck away from him. She accuses Burke of having an affair, and they have this massive fight. Burke throws a fucking glass at her face, cutting her in the eye. Janet's like, okay, no, I'm not into this. So she's like, mm, I gotta go, like, now. Didn't know he was married. Sorry about this. Girl code. Bye. And off she trots. Now, so Nellie is also pissed. And she goes and gets the hairs. The trio return to Bark. At which point, the two wives are locked out of a room and Bark and Hare kill Mary. She is also chucked in a tea chest. So they, they head to the school. The body's still warm. And they're paid £8 by... Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire. Enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty. And about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today. And join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode. Where I'd like to tell you a story. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. One of Nox's assistants, Ferguson, who's like, where did you get this body? Because um, she seems really familiar to me. And the reason we think she's familiar is because she's supposed to be a very popular lady of the night. However, we don't have any factual evidence one way or the other. It's more hearsay about it. But anyway, Bark's like, no, 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 we we bought her off an old lady because this chick just, you know, drunk herself to death. You know women. And Ferguson's like, cool. So when Knox sees her body, he's like, absolutely fantastic, 100%. This is a great corpse. I'm going to... I'm going to keep it. So he actually does. He preserves it in whiskey for three months before it actually gets dissected. Janet Brown, the friend, she heads back to Burks after Mary doesn't return home. And they tell her, you said she'd buggered off to Glasgow with a travelling salesman? Okay. The next person on the chopping block was Mrs Haldane, another one of Hare's lodgers. She gets absolutely sloshed, so much so that she doesn't even make it inside the lodging house she actually falls asleep in the stable and they're like well this is convenient they smother her and sell her to Knox. a few months later her daughter peggy ends up lodging with hair because she's looking for her mum. she's trying to figure out where she is so she ends up getting absolutely shit-faced with bark at which point he just kills her without any assistance from his buddy 
his buddy belly hair. And because, you know, Hare didn't assist in the process, he also wouldn't be receiving the financial compensation. Yeah, so he kills her, puts her in the tea chest, takes her to Knox, he gets paid £8. Next victim, another lodging old lady. And, again, same MO, gets drunk, passes out, Bart kills her on his own. He brings her body to Knox, gets £10. The next person was Effie, uh, a cinder gatherer. Basically, she would, like, scavenge through bins and garbage to, like, find, um, like, scraps to sell. Like, Burke actually knew her personally. She used to sell him leather scraps because he was a cobbler. So Burke lures her into the stable with whiskey, gets her drunk, and then he and Hare bark her, effectively. Again, she's brought over to Knox. They get £10! The next victim is just so fucking unlucky. So a police constable is helping this absolutely wasted woman, you know, get back to her lodgings. Sibylla Burke tells the Bobby, Ah, don't you worry, I'll get her home. Don't you worry about it. And he's like, fantastic. So instead of taking her home, three guesses as to what happened next. Did he A, just leave her somewhere, B, help her home, or C, take her back to Hare's house where they murder her? Do, 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 do. Congratulations, you are correct. That was indeed option C. She was murdered. Anyway, they bring her cadaver over to Knox, get another tenor. The next two murders were again lodgers, an old woman and her mute grandson. What they did was they brought the grandmother into the bedroom and barked her, sitting on her chest, smothering her, killed her the usual way. Well, the boy was just sitting by the fire in the kitchen. So after they killed her, they pick him up, carry him into the bedroom and kill him too. Unfortunately, the tea chest that they usually used to transport bodies was too small for the two of them, so they put them in a herring barrel. Basically, they loaded the, the barrel up onto a cart, but Hare's horse wouldn't go any further than a certain point, so Bark had to pay this other fella to help him, you know, transport the barrel the rest of the way. They get £8 each for the bodies, and when they get back, Bark is so mad that the horse wouldn't go past a certain point that he shoots it in the yard. In June, Burke and Nelly, Burke and Nelly, they, they go away to see Nelly's dad. Hare is struggling at this point. He has very little money. Uh, he's selling his clothes. He's, he's not got two shillings to rub together effectively. So while they're away, Hale kills a woman by himself and sells the body to Knox for £8, but doesn't tell Burke. But when Burke comes back and he sees that Hare has money and new clothes, he gets mad. And and so they have like this little tiff and their bromance is on a break. But you know, it doesn't last for too long. Don't you worry about it. They, they make up in the way that all good relationships heal. With murder. So here is visiting Bark when the washerwoman, Mrs. Osler, comes to do all the laundry. As a washerwoman does. The men, as per fucking usual, get her drunk and then kill her. By the afternoon, Knox has the corpse and the men receive another eight quid. A few weeks later, one of Nellie's relatives, Anne, comes to visit. And because, you know, not all families are happy ones, uh, they decide, fuck it, we'll just kill her too. And they do. And they get a tenor for her. Now, the next victim is really the start of their downfall. James Wilson was mentally and physically disabled. He was 18 years old and known as Daft Jimmy. But, you know, he, he was generally well known and well liked, you know. 
So it's November, and William here, he, he lures James in because he's gonna, he's gonna, you know, look after him. He's gonna give him some whiskey. It's gonna be a good time. So Bark and Hare, they try and do their normal thing, but unlike most of their victims, James, he didn't really like whiskey, so he wasn't drunk. He wasn't, like, as intoxicated as most of the other victims, and he was, although he was, you know, disabled, he was incredibly strong. He fought back, which is something they weren't used to, but by barking him, by compressing his chest and the two of them working together, they managed to end his life. Then, then he was stripped, his stuff was stolen, and he was then passed on to Knox. I don't know how much for actually this time. So the next day, James's body is being like, just looked over by Knox and his students, and they're like, um, is that an old Daft Jimmy? That looks like Daft Jimmy to you, does that not look like Daft Jimmy to you? Ah, it does look like Daft Jimmy now that you mention it. And Knox is like, no, 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 it's nobody you know, clearly. Not that person who has, you know, deformed feet and a highly recognisable face because you walk past it every day. Not a little bit. <laughs> so when word starts getting around that, that, that James Wilson is missing, Knox ends up dissecting the body sooner rather than later because like, he actually pulls it to the front of the queue instead of all the other ones that are in storage. So he like cuts off the head, the hands and the feet before the main dissection happens. The very last victim, Margaret Doherty, was killed on October 31st, 1828. That's right, Halloween. With a name like Margaret Doherty, surprisingly enough, she was Irish and she gets lured there by by Burke because he's like, my mum's from the same place as you in Ireland. What a crazy random happenstance. So Nellie and Margaret, they're sitting there drinking. Burke says, oh, I've got to go get some more whiskey when in fact he's off to get his partner in crime, hair. So because, you know, they wanted to do the deed, and by do the deed, I mean kill and not sex. Burke had two other lodgers there at the time, uh, Anne and James Gray. So they had actually paid them to bugger off to Hare's lodging house for the night so that they could, you know, kill in peace. Um, but saying like, this is my relative and I would like some special relative time with her. Yay. And so they're like, okay, fine. So they come back later that evening because they want to, you know, because they've left some stuff for their kids. They want to get some clothes for their kids. And they see, you know, Bark, they see the Barks and the Hares and Doherty all drunk as farts. They're singing, they're dancing, they're, you know, whatever. Anyway, they get their ship and they head off back to Hares. Now, at some point during the night, Burke and Hare get into some drunken fight, but they also murder Margaret Doherty and put her body in a pile of straw at the end of the bed instead of just putting her in the tea chest straight away. I don't know. So when the Greys return, they follow. So the next day, the Greys return and they get told that Marjorie, wait a minute, Marjorie Doherty? I have two names for this person. Margaret, Marjorie, Mary. Okay, Margaret, Marjorie, or Mary. They get told this person that had been at, that she'd been asked to leave because she was getting all flirty with Burke. And they're looking at him like, sure, okay. And also, in addition, furthermore, they're not allowed to enter the bedroom, you know, where they've got stuff. And like, I just want to get my stockings. Like, no, you can't go in there. And they're like, all right, definitely suspicious. So later on that day, um, in a move of pure stupidity, they leave the greys alone. And being, you know, people with eyes and brains, the greys decide to have a look around and see what the fuck they're hiding in that spare room. And what do they find? Margaret Marjorie Mary's dead body under the bed. 
And they say to Nellie, like, what? And she tries to bribe them with £10 a week for, like, their silence. And they're like, fuck this for a game of soldiers. No. So the Greys head off to the police and report the murder. And during this time, but before the police arrive at the lodging house, Buckingham managed to remove Marjorie's body. Buckingham have already removed the body and brought it to Knox. Here's the thing, though. They were wise enough to remove the body. However, they were not wise enough to remove the blood-stained clothing that was stuffed under the bed. So the Burks are questioned and they're given different times for when Doherty leaves. Um, and the police find this suspicious at the best of times. So as they start unravelling this um, remarkably simple mystery, the police end up at Knox and they bring James Gray, who is quite able to identify Margaret Doherty. And after reading about this in the paper, Janet Brown was able to identify her friend's clothes, the petticoats and stuff, um, that had been found at Hare's lodging house. So the police end up questioning Knox because they're thinking he's obviously in on it. And Knox is like, these two fellas were in boarding houses. You know, they don't live in the best area. People are dying all around them. And these two tend to like, you know, collect the bodies before anyone claims them for burial. And although unethical, not illegal. So they were like, all right, you're free to go, Dr. Knox. So a lot of this evidence you're thinking, wee bit circumstantial, wee bit here and there. But Burke kept a ledger of everybody and everything he paid, which honestly... (sighs) But also, in addition, furthermore, William Hare was illiterate. Out of the two, he was not the sharpest knife in the cutlery drawer. You know what I mean? And he gets offered immunity in return for testifying against Burke and Nelly. And he's like, absolutely, 100%. So Burke is charged and convicted of the murders of Marjorie Doherty, Mary Patterson and James Wilson. And Burke is hanged in 1829 and his body is given to medical students to dissect. William Burke's skeleton is still on display at Surgeons Hall in Edinburgh next to his death mask and the life mask of William Hare. Also, anatomy students took his skin and used it to bind books and card holders. So Nellie and Margaret, they get the hell out of Dodge. Um, Nellie emigrates to Australia. Margaret bollocks is off back to Ireland. And Hare just disappears. We don't hear of hide nor hair. Again, we don't. Yeah. So the rumour is that he flees to England, but we have absolutely no idea. So Dr. Knox, his reputation is in fucking tatters. Even though he's exonerated... Because Burke makes a statement saying that he had absolutely no clue where the bodies came from. We hoodwinked him. Yes, we did. So Knox ends up moving to London, you know, basically trying to like resalvage his career in medicine. So the Burke and Hare murders basically lead to this um, anatomy act of 1832. And this gives the study of medicine greater access to cadavers and the legal donation of bodies to medical science, eliminating the need for you know, the whole body snatching. For the whole body snatching. Can I say some words? Tell me what's for this. No more resurrectionists. Resurrectionists. So basically destroying the trade. What did we learn today? I don't know. I mean, if you talk to me... I'm not, I'm talking to this though. No, no. We're talking to the the, the fans. The fans? The fans. What do you mean fans? I have fans. 
And what are their names? I don't... You want the names of my fans? <laughs> um... Uh, first one... Finbar? Finbar? Is the first one off the top of my head? I'm so sorry. Um... Um... Mom. Listen. Listen, there's a few of them. So basically... Is that a lot of people? No, there's a load of people, okay? Mummy has 100,000 followers. What? Yeah. That's a lot of people. Thank you. So... <laughs> What did we learn today? We've learned that, yes, all men. We learned that if you're going to commit a crime, don't document it. Because that's not going to end well for you. Um, uh, that killers get cocky. And, um, don't drink whiskey with strange men in boarding houses. I feel like that's a good, that's a good life lesson. Baby, you listening to me? Yeah. So don't drink whiskey with strange men in boarding houses, okay? Okay? Okay. Okay, so... Now, if you liked my retelling of this gruesome story, don't forget you can... What? You, you want to know what they can do? Everybody else on your movie to find can do the same as you. Yes. What you can do is rate and review five stars on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast... Um, podcast. ...thing you're listening on. Eggs. And you can... <gasps> what? And you're thinking, I want to do more to support you. Well, you can comment on these... You can follow me on social media. You can follow and support on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Who did what now pod? And on Twitter, who did what now PD? If you're thinking, okay, I wanna, I wanna share your posts. I wanna like your stuff. I wanna get involved. That is super. And you're thinking, I wanna support you. I wanna support you more. And you can. Um, all the links are in the bio as well. So anything you're looking for down there. So there is Patreon. We have PayPal. Coffee and Revolut. They're all there. If you want to make any contribution, it would absolutely be appreciated because books are not free. <laughs> and I spend so much time reading them. That being said, I almost said reading, writing, arithmetic. That's wrong. No. We are looking for recommendations for reading, listening, and watching so read reading wise i am gonna recommend a little book called the victorian master criminal if you know me you know i have a thing about turn of the century crime victorian era crime i find it very fascinating it's kind of my jam so there's that uh, for listening i'm gonna recommend a band if you like enchanting interesting folk music i absolutely suggest you listen to trusty and the foe they're on SoundCloud. Um, so foe as in your enemy, like trusty and the foe. Uh, the music is beautiful. And for watching, um, well, you could watch the Birkin Hair movie with Simon Pegg although, uh, and I think Andy Serkis. But I feel like the two of them are too old for the parts. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, but if you want to watch that, but I'm, that's not what I'm recommending. I'm just letting you know that that exists. I am recommending What We Do in the Shadows TV show because I Nadja Nadja is amazing. I am obsessed. It is so much fun. I'm oh I love it so much. I really really do. Yeah, and that's where I'm gonna leave you. Go watch what we do in the shadows. It is fantastic. And so uh, this is where I bid you adieu. And I will chat to you next time. Adios, au revoir, au revoir de zen, my friends. Bye bye. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. 
Sleepco features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.